You guys go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I would tell you with the baptisms that I would have abbreviated my sermon, but if I told you that, I'd be lying. So, simmer y'all. Y'all are good. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me read verses 6 through 16, and then we're going to talk about how we are going to get there this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. It reads this. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature. But, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages of our, of, for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if you had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory But as it is written, what what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except His Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him. But we, we, we as believers have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people but as people of the flesh. As babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? We are walking through a series talking about the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit and what it means for believers to walk with the Spirit. Our, our theme today is the, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and how God uses Scripture to interact with our lives. To understand that, we kind of give a little of a backdrop from what we walked through last week as a church that we look and we see as followers of Jesus that our salvation is an interdependent concept and it rests in the hands of a triune God. Trinitarian may be a word you've heard. The Trinity that our salvation was authorized by God the Father. He's the one who can save. It was accomplished by the Son. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross and His resurrection accomplished the idea of salvation for those who believe. And it is applied by the Holy Spirit. We as followers of Jesus do not maintain right relationship with God after we have trusted in Christ because of our good behavior, but because of His good behavior. That we are able to walk in step with God, not by our own power, but by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit 
that Jesus has given to each and every one of us. Authorized by the Father, accomplished by the Son, and applied by the Spirit. And for those of us who follow after Jesus, we see that there are numerous ways that Scripture, is, that scripture tells us as to the, the glory of God, the existence of God, the, the person of God. We see that we can look into nature and see that there is a God who exists. And all of these things in the world that we live in don't seem to make much sense apart from some God actively doing these things. Romans chapter 1 tells us about that. If you would like to read 150 chapters of the Bible, read through the Psalms, they regularly mention the creation account, the creation of God. What we can look and we can see, not only do we see it displayed in creation, we see according to Romans chapter 2 that we understand that there is a God who convicts us of sin and gives direction. This God, that He uses more morality, that we are shaped, that we understand the way that there is a certain way to behave, a certain way not to behave, things that we should do, things that we should not do. God displays Himself in that way. But primarily the way that we see God displaying Himself to us, ultimately, definitively, it's through the written word that God would speak to us as to who He is and that we would be, understand, be able to understand the life and breath that God offers not because we are incredibly smart, though I am sure some of you are incredibly smart, but that we would be able to understand who God is and how God acts, reacts, and interacts with us by the power of His Spirit displayed through the Word. A.W. Tozer says this about the Bible, the written Word of God. He says the Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence, that they may taste and know the inner, the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the core and center of their human hearts. That God interacts with His people through the Word. We see the idea of God speaking things into existence. We see it in the very beginning of the, of the book of Genesis. If you don't know where Genesis is, it's the start. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We are familiar with that text. A, a verse that you may be less familiar with because it, it is beyond verse 1 is verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkening darkness covering the surface of the watery depths and the Spirit was hovering over the surface of the waters. The word Spirit there is the word Ruha. It's, it's the idea of, of the breath of God. Imagine you're walking out of your favorite restaurant here in the Lake Jackson slash Clute area. You've masked up because they tell you to mask up when you walk in and out of places, though none of you wear them appropriately, according to what I'm seeing people do all the time. They're always like right down here. When you walk out, you've got your mask on right, you breathe out. And when you breathe out, you feel something there. That's breath. That's the idea that's here. The Holy Spirit is God breathing among us. Genesis chapter, chapter 2 verses, verse 7 talks more about the breath of God and how the breath of God interacts not just with the creation because here in one we see the breath of God hovering over everything. We see God interact with humanity as He forms Adam. Chapter 2 verse 7 Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. 
poet, civil rights activist James Weldon Johnson wrote a poem using poetic language so let's not get upset with anything but what he says to us is this that God sat down on the side of a hill where he could think by a deep wide river he sat down with his head in his hands God thought and thought until he thought I'll make me a man up from the bed of the river God scooped the clay And by the bank of the river, he kneeled him down. And there the great God Almighty who lit the sun and fixed it in the sky, who flung the stars to the most far corners of the night, who rounded the earth in the middle of his hand, this great God, like a mother bending over her baby, knelt down in the dust, toiling over a lump of clay, till he shaped it in his own image. Then into it he blew the breath of life. And man became a living soul. An inanimate object became animated. We keep going through the entirety of Scripture and we see the idea of the the Spirit hovering and the Spirit descending, the Spirit interacting with creation. In Matthew chapter 3 we see the story of Jesus. You've heard of him. Jesus, at his baptism, Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan. If you're unfamiliar with John the Baptist, he's the cousin of Jesus. But John tried to stop him saying, Hey, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And Jesus said to him, Allow it for now, because this is the way for us all to fulfill righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately. The heavens suddenly opened for him. And he saw the spirit or the breath of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Here in the New Testament we see this Trinitarian presence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit of God. We see the Spirit throughout the Scriptures. In John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, we see this Trinitarian idea yet again. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. God sent me, I'm sending you, but I'm not sending you alone. So when the believer in Jesus, those who've confessed that today and every believer in this room, go to the highways and byways of their lives... You are not sent with a white-knuckled grip on the goodness of God. You are sent by the grace of God. And His Spirit is in you. After saying this, Jesus breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. This is the foretaste of what will take place in Acts chapter 2. The large portion where we see the Holy Spirit fall on the church. We see this idea of the breath of God, the Spirit of God running through the Scripture. And then we get to one of my favorite passages. And I say that regularly. I think they're supposed to all be your favorite when you're a preacher. I'm not sure. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy about the Scripture and he talks about the breath of God. All Scripture is inspired. I'm using one translation. But it literally means all Scripture. All It reads in the original language. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture breathed out by God so that you and I can interact with God in a way that does something that's incredibly important. 
N.T. Wright, Anglican theologian, says this, Scripture... Scripture not only gives us information about how our lives can be transformed. Scripture itself will be part of the process. For the believer in Jesus, your ongoing transformation, you becoming more and more like Jesus, depends upon you interacting with the Scriptures. For us to walk away from the Scriptures means that we are walking away from what God has breathed to us. You look into the... This passage, and it gives us these four examples as to how God is using the Scripture in my life and in your life. Your lives. 2 Timothy chapter 3, teaching, reproof, correction, training. Let me give you examples as to what's taking place there. That God would teach us by the Spirit. That He would use the Word to teach us. That means that He would show us Jesus. Because keep in mind, the life of the believer is always intended to point others to the person of Jesus. The intent of the Holy Spirit is to direct our attention to the person of Jesus. We read the Scriptures, we teach the Scriptures because it is intended to show us Jesus. We use the Scriptures for reproof or correction. Why would we do that? Because when we are people who are interacting with the Scriptures, we see that God is continually warning His people as to things in each of our lives that are unlike the person of Jesus. For correction... That God uses Scripture in your life to redirect the lives of sinful people toward Jesus. For training in righteousness. That God is preparing you even now through the power of His Word and His Spirit alive in you to be more and more like Jesus. With these things in mind, the breath of God interacting with us through the power of His Word, the wisdom of God interacting with His people. Let's look where Paul takes us through a passage where he shows us how the Bible unfolds to reveal the mystery of God that we as believers know in Jesus. That we can be people who know and see and understand God simply because of Jesus and His Spirit alive in us. God lining our lives up so that we can see Him revealed to us. You you see in this passage a few things taking place. You see belief. And I'm going to give you just a breakdown, wicka wicka, of that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 6 through 13, you see the belief. In chapter 2 verse 14, you see the world. The way that they see belief. You then see the believer. And we love that. Two concepts. You've got the world. You've got believers. We like to talk about that as Christians sometimes. There's a world. There are those who believe. And that is true for eternity. There are those who will be with Jesus. Those who will not be with Jesus. Yet Paul is very clear as to some other element at play. Some other group who is interacting with the scriptures just poorly. Because Paul says you have the world, you have the believer, and then you have, sadly, the worldly believer. And in this life, we see that presence there. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 13. Let me give that to you one more time. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature. But not a wisdom of this age or of rulers who are coming to nothing... This is the wisdom of the Roman politics. It's the wisdom of the Jewish religion. It's the wisdom that Paul interacted with as a Jewish man living as a Roman citizen. Political and social elitism was defining how the church was supposed to interact with the Lord. Hear that again. In Paul's world, political and social elitism 
was defining how believers were supposed to walk with the Lord. And it was a problem. It was a problem in 70 AD. And it's a problem in 2020. It's always going to be a problem. The wisdom that is there. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery. A wisdom God predestined. Don't be afraid of that word. That's a word that people are afraid of as Christians sometimes. Predestined simply means that God worked this out before the beginning of time. Before the ages for our glory. We see that God's Spirit serves as a bridge between the deep things of God and the human heart. Verse 8, None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Or as it is written in Isaiah 64, 4, What no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the power of the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, the Holy Spirit of God is searching what God would have His people to know. He is continually, God is revealing Himself through His Word so that we can interact with God in a way that honors Him rightly. Because God's Spirit is a bridge between the deep things of God and the human heart. Jared's wife, Sarah, she is a rocket scientist, like a legitimate rocket scientist. I didn't know one until I met Sarah. There's a rocket. She worked with rockets. I don't work with rockets. I watch the rockets, but they get bounced in the second round of the playoffs every single year. And I know that various members of our church family based upon your post from Facebook, have asked Sarah to take you on a tour of NASA, where she works, where the rocket doctors work. <laughs> Here's the thing about Sarah's tour. There's a tour that you can pay for. There's a tour that you can go on on your own. There's a tour that you can do that is just the NASA-sanctioned tour. But that ain't Sarah's tour. Because Sarah has a badge that's going to get you places that you could not go. You're going to experience things there that you could not experience apart from Sarah. She is the bridge. That the church of Corinth has missed this simple message of the gospel that Jesus is, that the Holy Spirit is the bridge because they've been fixated on really terrible things that we are easily fixated on. They have grown fixated on the fact that they want to sound smart in conversation. That they want to be eloquent of speech. Their rhetoric is better than the rhetoric of the person they happen to be arguing with. It with. Because of this, they are acting like the unbelieving world around them. How often do you find yourself acting like the unbelieving world around you just from a different angle? How often do we see, and when we look in the mirror, the reflection of someone who is making points and counterpoints for the sake of points and counterpoints and somehow missing the good gospel of Jesus in it because we miss that for someone to really understand the depths of what we believe, the Spirit of God has to be at work. It is ineffectual to teach deep things of God to people who are immature and proud. It is unhelpful and Paul looks at this church and he sees within them they are talking a good game. 
speaking a good speak. But there is nothing about their action as believers that would communicate that they were actually believers. They just show up at a building. We have the wisdom of God. We speak a wisdom among the mature. Paul is not saying this to rally the troops and say, You can do it. Paul is saying to them, you've forgotten that the wisdom of God has been given to you. And you don't see the people you're interacting with with the wisdom of God. You see them with a puffed up chest. You see them with an unbroken heart. You see them in a way that says you're satisfied if they spend eternity in hell if you win an argument. We speak God's hidden mystery. A wisdom predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom. Because if they had known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Paul loves that phrase, Lord of glory. It's a paradox. Two things happening at once. The Lord of glory needs to be crucified for salvation to be up. Something we can know. But it's also a sin. And it wasn't simply the these people crucified the Lord of glory. My sin and your sin crucified the Lord of glory. God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Paul says from Isaiah. God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit. Since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God... God's wisdom for us that is initial and deep is that we have a crucified Savior. So if we are to understand what it means to be people who honor God, we are to seek to understand what sacrifice is. Because it is at the heart of our faith. Sacrifice for salvation. Death for life. I was talking with some friends the other day about death and life. There's nothing. God's, God's written that code in genetics. He's written that code in everything. If you have ever eaten a meal, you have eaten something that was at one point dead. Your burger was dead. Your lettuce, your burger was alive and now it's dead. Your lettuce was alive and now it's dead. Everything that we eat, everything that we digest so that we can have life is because something died in order for us to have it. Sacrifice. There was a sacrifice made. And the ultimate sacrifice, the climax of Christianity, the point where it all comes together is that God himself in his very wisdom said, death is your hope for life. That's the wisdom of God displayed to us through Christ Jesus. The plan... God has for sinful people reached its peak in Jesus. So I would encourage you to be eloquent of think, work through why you think it, say what you want to say, but make sure that you say it with a tone of sacrifice. Because if we lose that tone of sacrifice, we're missing the Spirit of God actively pointing us to Jesus saying sacrifice is supposed to be there. Verse 11, For who knows a person's thoughts? except his spirit within him. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have received the Spirit of God from God. 
You didn't get smart enough to understand the Bible. I don't get smart enough to understand the Bible. For the believer in Jesus, uh, the ability to interact with Scripture is something that is supernatural in the lives of a believer. And the Holy Spirit of God will use His Word just as much in the life of a new believer as He will in the life of a pastor who's been standing in front of people for 15 years. Because Noli has no less of the Holy Spirit than I do. Josh has no less of the Holy Spirit than I do. God has given them Himself walking in our midst. Now we have not yet received the Spirit. Now we have not received the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. The sacrifice of God. Philippians 2, the Christ Him, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. It is interesting that I am a gospel changes everything person. Yet there are times I look at my own life and I don't see that my preferences have shifted at all. How often would you look at your own life and see that there is a lack of shift in your preferences even though you would tell me that you believe the gospel of Jesus changes everything? That I would look and see the world around me from the perspective of the God who made a sacrifice for me. Rather than standing on some pillar of elitism that is nothing like Jesus. We also speak these things not in words. Taught by human wisdom. But in those taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. Paul is saying that the interactions that we have as believers is because God's gifted that to us. There's this gift of community that God offers believers. For every one of us who says, you know, a life group, I mean, I get, I understand why you do that, but I'm not sure if I get anything from that. Well, if you go, are you going to get less than nothing? Are you going to go in the red? If you're interacting with other believers about the truths of Scripture... We don't choose our words well. We, we just want everyone to agree with us. The fact that a person does not share our faith agrees... The fact that a person who does not share your faith agrees with you on caps lock anything is a common grace that we should not bulldoze through. Because God's gifted you that. The person without the Spirit, this is where it gets a little... This passage, he breaks it down because we're talking mysterious things of the Spirit of God interacting with His people through the power of His Word. God using His Word to show Himself to us. Then we see how Paul begins to make points to us about those we come in contact with. In verse 14, he talks about the world. Now that's a word that we've got to be careful with at times. I understand. I, I never want to use that as, a, as an eye roll. That's just the way the world thinks. I've never understood the difference in secular and Christian music. Like a, a song can't be Christian. A song can't trust Jesus. It's not an adjective. We've made it an adjective to sell stuff online. 
A follower of Jesus is something altogether different. The world, though, here's what it says. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit. Because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. They got things going on. Spiritual things taking place around them. It doesn't make sense. So, last December, when I went to Israel, there was a night where they said to us, um, hey, you've got a free night to do what you want. And then you you could really see the divide between the Baptists and the Presbyterians and whatever I am. And, And... some, and some of them said, we're going to go back to the room. And then some said, hey, there's a wine cave. Why don't we go to the wine cave? Well, it was also two, after, 2 o'clock in the afternoon in my head. So I thought, I'll go to a wine cave. What's a wine cave? And I don't drink, I'll be honest with you. I don't believe you can make the scriptural case that it's a sin. And if you can make that case, that, that's fine. I think alcoholism is a major problem. And I think it is something that we can live in that sin. I just don't like the taste of alcohol. I, I never have. I ask for more eggnog in my cup than alcohol, even before it's in the cup. Um, if I'm drinking anything like that, I want it to taste more like a Capri Sun than NyQuil. That's kind of where I go. <laughs> so on this free night, we're, we're headed to this wine cave, all of us. And they tell us they're going to give us a sampling. Just, just, just a sample. A little bit. And they pour six cups of wine. And I'm just like looking at this cup, these cups of wine, thinking, oh, that, that's wine. And I would take a drink and like, oh, that, that tastes like wine. No matter the color. Red, white, neon green, that was Kool-Aid. <laughs> there was one that was made of a fossilized grape that they'd found from the days of Jesus. At least they'd tell me that and I believe stuff. That had been genetically reproduced so they could make this wine. Do you know what it tasted like? The other five. <laughs> But when it touched my lips, I was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> because that's what you're supposed to do, right? I couldn't tell the difference. I couldn't tell the difference at all. People, when we begin to look at the teachings of what Scripture is, I don't know why we should expect someone to be an expert when it's maybe something they've never tasted. To understand something they were just introduced to. So we just keep pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring some more. And they're just sitting there overwhelmed. And they're having conversations with you where they agree with you. And they don't even understand why they're agreeing. And we get mad if they tell us they don't. That's the world. That's the example that's given by Paul. You also see the believer in the passage. Here's what he says to you. He says to me, The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For as it's written, Who knows the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. It's interchangeable knowledge for the Spirit of God at times. God has made it so that saved people through His Spirit can interact with the Bible. We can take things from the Bible. One of the strange revelations in my life as a pastor is the number of times I've heard people have conversations about Bible studies. Let's do a Bible study from person A. Person B says, cool, cool. What book are we going to read? 
The Bible. If you want to study the Bible, the Bible is where you should start. But, but who wrote a good book so I could understand that you, by the power of the Spirit, can get something from the Bible? God teaches us that. I've got 66 books in mind. Pick which one you want. They're all in the Bible. That the person who follows Jesus can take something from His Word. There's a reason that there is a tension in your heart when you open your Bible, friends. Mine too. There's a reason that I can be reading through my Bible and every distraction on earth can pop up and I think that I should chase that distraction. I learned to tie my shoelaces in the fastest way possible a few weeks ago when I was supposed to be reading my Bible. This is confession. If you're going to let our elders know something, feel free to email them at elders at presbyterianchurchoflakejackson.com. <laughs> we are easily distracted because we're not in a physical battle when we're in scriptures. The Spirit of God is at war against the Spirit of this world, and, and that, that's going to take place when you're there. But God has something for you there. And you can take something from Scripture because God has given you Scripture. He's breathed it to us. you got the believer. You've got the world. But Paul is clear to say there is another type on this side of eternity. There is the worldly believer who is tossed about to and fro. Paul says to the church at Corinth who thought they were super spiritual and incredibly smart and that they were rhetorically amazing for my part brothers and sisters here's what happens when I look at you I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people you are Christians but I can't interact with you as Christians but as people of the flesh as babies in Christ I had to give you milk to drink I had to go base level conversation with you because you missed it somewhere. And, and I wonder at times for me, if, if I'm not careful, if I can get so lost in the weeds of, of what I think about the end of time that you read about in Revelation and everywhere else. And, and what I think about lapsarianism. And what I think about exegesis and eisegesis and what I think about Calvinism and Arminianism and what I think about all of these things, if somehow, if I'm not careful, I've missed that God has something deep for me right there that is Christ crucified and resurrected and I should not ever miss that. You don't move beyond that. You move deeper into it. If I gave you milk to drink since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready because you're still worldly. Since there's envy and there's strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Look what he says to them. When I look at you, even though you're making different arguments than the people you're arguing with, you're still making the same. You're presenting yourself the same way. When you read and you hear passages about the mystery of God to reveal to you in the, cross of, in the cross and resurrection of Jesus that is in this life of the believer, that is in you if you trust Jesus, 
Where do you see yourself in light of this passage? There's a possibility you're not a believer in Jesus. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus can save you. He's the only one who can save you. The Spirit of God will walk with you. He'll allow you to understand His Word. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants that nobody should perish. He wants all of us to know Him. For those of you who are believers, who have a relationship with Jesus, are you delving into what God offers you from His Word? Or is the Bible an afterthought of an afterthought when you're tired and you say you'll get to that tomorrow? Is the idea of community circled around the Bible something that you have withdrawn from because you're too busy? How many of us may find ourselves as worldly believers? Though we believe the Spirit of God is in us and there are moments we feel His nudge to honor God with our lives, for the most part, we don't behave in any way, shape, or form like we follow Jesus. Church family, this passage doesn't just speak to you. It speaks to every believer in the world. Because every one of us has this tendency, if we're not careful, to dip back into this worldly belief where we want to argue for arguing's sake and fight for fighting's sake. And somehow in that, we don't realize we're missing Jesus. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and... Close your eyes. If you're here and you've never trusted in the the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I, I would invite you to enter into that relationship that God would rejoice over you. He would save a person who was lost. And if you need to have a conversation about that, I'm going to be in the back right hand corner of the room. Because today may be the day through the power of the Spirit where you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. A simple story that has no end to its depths. If you're uncomfortable with that, maybe you have a conversation with a friend who's a believer in Jesus. That you want to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raised Him from the dead. There's a chance that you're the worldly believer in this passage. And you feel tossed about. There are days you don't feel like a Christian. You have no assurance of that for whatever reason. Even though you, you, you believe that God's at work in you, I would encourage you begin to ask questions about that. Help us to take steps with you in that. And if you're a believer, I would encourage you to stand firm, to wrestle in your soul with what God is doing and why God is doing it and not miss Him. Lord, I thank You for Scripture. I thank You that You would give this to us so that we could see You training in You teaching about you, reproof through you, instruction from you. And I pray that we will be people who do not ignore the depths of what is there. 
that the central truth, Christ crucified and resurrected, is the hope for us. It's the hope of the world. So Jesus moves this morning in our midst. If there are those who are lost, save them, we ask you. If there are those who are believers, who are wayward, God, help them to see what home looks like. We ask all this in your powerful name, Lord Jesus. I'm in the back corner if you need me.